Next, we have Ed Carr from House of Arras joining us. Everybody knows who Ed Carr is and House of Arras. They are, well, well even the French admit that um, it's the best sparkling wines in the world that you that you win uh, year after year. So we wanted to get you on, Ed, to talk about the recent global vintage release, um, I think early September. Um, can you talk us through uh, the, the, the new release wines and what we can expect to see in them? Because I think most people probably have not tried them yet. Yeah, well, this uh, year is particularly interesting. It's um, it's got a full range of wines back again. So we've got uh, from 2014 the vintage rosé, the Blanc de Blanc, and the Grand Grand Vintage, and the late disgorged for this year. The late disgorged vintage wine is the 2007, and um, along with that, we've got a 2005 museum release Blanc Blanc as well. So a really good range. It's the tenth release of. The late Discourse, we started that in 1998, vintage, and um, yeah, to have the full full range back is just really great. I guess that's a testament to uh, to a very good vintage. How would you position 2022 uh, in comparison to uh, you know previous vintages, say in the last decade? It's come up very strongly. It was wasn't the easiest year that we've ever faced. Um, mm. The weather in December. 13 was actually really quite windy and wet and um, reduced the crop level for that year. But um, we really did get a very strong um, flavours, very strong density in that fruit that we picked. It yeah. didn't make as much of it as we might have liked. But, um, yeah, it, it's really proven out to be a very sort of dense, sort of viscous and mineral year. It's, uh, it's really, really interesting. And so uh, this year also is a very special year um, in the fact that we were celebrating two milestones. Um, sorry, notice how I say we, like I'm part of House of Arras. <laughs> You're celebrating two milestones. And one is that it's uh, 25 years of 100% Tasmanian winemaking. And the other is it's the 10th consecutive vintage release of the beautiful EJ Carlate Disgorge 2007. Can you, uh, can you talk to both those points? Yeah, those two coincide really. We, um, as I mentioned, we, this is the tenth release of the Late Disgorge Vintage, and we started that in 1998 with that vintage year being the uh, the year that we first moved to 100% Tasmanian fruit in that uh, in those blends. Um, mm-hmm. The House of Arras started off in 1995 when we uh, first started to move towards making a single premium sparkling wine. Um, and those early blends from 95 to 97 um, were a blend of uh, Tasmanian and the best of the Yarra Valley fruit that we had at the time, purely based on volume. We didn't have enough. Um, and then from 1998, um, we'd secured enough uh, fruit to make that blend entirely Tas- Tasmanian. So um, from then on, it's just been our goal to expand that fruit uh, resource and we've expanded the number of labels and um, here we are today, 25 years plus, um, with, uh, with, with, with that whole range of wines. So I guess, you know, as you're saying, it really comes down to, uh, to the quantity of grapes uh, that were accessible, um, you know, decades ago in comparison to now. Uh, how how quickly did it actually, well, I guess instead of asking how quickly, it does seem that the, um, uh, the, the need and the want for 
Tasmanian sparkling just skyrocketed. Um, maybe maybe a decade or so ago, you'd, you'd be able to answer that better than I. And um, so it happened all really quite quickly, didn't it? The movement happened quickly. Yeah, I mean, Tas- Tasmania has been there for quite a while in the sense of growing fruit. I first uh, went on a viticultural tour of Tasmania in 1988, um, and it was tiny then. There was only something like um, oh, just under 50 hectares of grapes grown on the total island. Um, now, you know, we've got an island that's producing like 17,000 tonnes of grapes, which is only tiny Gosh. compared to... Um, you know, the, like the rest of the country, it's less than half, half a percent, but his growth rate has been phenomenal, really. And I guess probably from the mid-90s onwards, we've seen that uh, real recognition of Tasmanian quality. Yes. And um, that's been followed by support in planting a lot more vineyards. Yes, yeah. I guess it, it's it's a whole supply and demand, isn't it? Um, we've had a message come in. Um, this is from Christopher saying, "I would love to know which subregions in Tasmania the fruit comes from for the Aris Grand Vintage. I would assume most of the fruit is from the Tama Valley and Piper's River. Can you answer that, Ed? Um, should never really assume things. Uh, well, our um, <laughs> vineyard resourcing is um, very much very much diverse. Um, we've always had the philosophy that we would uh, grow grapes in each of the recognised sub subregions mm-hmm. and uh, work out where they fit best in our wine makes, um, in our blending matrix. So we do get um, fruit from the Tamar Valley, Piper's River, the East Coast, the Mid-East Coast, the Coal River, um, and the Derwent Valley. And... Um, so we've we've really looked at um, you know how those areas sort of um, perform in a sense as to as to our style. Mm. Other people might not see see the qualities of each region the same way. So it's been our uh, our constant aim to have that diversity, so we can blend to style, and we can evolve the styles as we learn more about each region. So. The uh, 2007 um, blends uh, uh, is really focused along the East Coast and the Derwent. Um, our best uh, our best Chardonnays now actually come from mainly the East Coast and um, from the Upper Derwent itself. So uh, fruit for those vintage wines is really more focused on the East Coast, the Derwent Valley and the Coal, Coal Valley simply because they sort, they suit the style more that we want to make. Well, there we go, Christopher. I hope that's an- answered your question. I have to say the Grand Vintage is definitely one of my absolute favourites, and I do have uh, I do have some of the 7 and the 9, but I'm yet to try the 14. Could you maybe just um, give us a, maybe some of the differences between the 7, 9 and 14, Ed? Um, well, very different years. I mean, mm. I was 7 was particularly interesting it was uh, uh, right in the middle of some sort of very tough drought years and there were quite intense frosts you know seven um, and it really um, it, it actually really damaged a lot of the vineyards and um, particularly affected some of the flavors of the vineyards we were used to using so um, 07 was a tough year in terms of 
we uh, we didn't make a lot of wine in uh, 07, but also the 07 um, Grand Grand Vintage, which is now evolved to the 07 Lake Disgorge, um, has a lot more Chardonnay in it than the, we traditionally use. The those blends are usually around about 65% Chardonnay. Um, the 07 is 78% Chardonnay, which we were worried about at the time, but um, simply when we tried to fit more Pinot Noir into it, it just uh, it just didn't work in the structure of the wine. So we stayed with that blend, 78% Chardonnay and 22% Pinot, yeah. and it's turned out exceptionally well. It um, just really highlights the uh, blending to style. You know, sometimes the numbers don't quite match match history, but... Mm-hmm. Um, the wine's particularly strong. Um, 09 um, uh, was a warm, generous year. The wines had a lot of depth and texture. They sort of reflected the stronger sun, sunshine year. They were always more generous, I guess. Um, yep. But we went, we were back to the roughly 65% Chardonnay, which found us the perfect um, balance again. Mm. And as I explained, 14... Um, that year of which was set up the previous December, um, lower crop, um, a lot of hen and chicken, so big and small berries, um, and has produced a very intense and more textural, structural style. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it really highlights, um, you know, the um, differences you can get between vintage, vintage, uh, and that's just purely what you get served in in the weather patterns for that year. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, just at the end of the day, you know, you're working with what, you, what you're what uh, you what you thrown and um, you tend to work with it very well. I've got a question um, about your Blanc de Blancs. Um, it, it does seem like in the last few years, Blanc de Blancs has really come to the fore in Australia. And, you know, you know we're, we're going to restaurants and we're seeing, you know, pages and pages dedicated to just Blanc de Blancs. Uh, what's, your, what's your view on... On the Blanc de Blanc, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to the, the, the mix. Uh, yeah, good for the styles. I love them myself. Actually, I've mm, always me too. been a massive fan of Blanc de Blanc. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a very different style. It's, I mean, to make an exceptional Blanc de Blanc, you you um, have to have exceptional Chardonnay quality because you don't have the option of blending pin and oil, yes. if you like, the back end palette. So yes. you have to have Chardonnay fruit and ultimately wine that stands stands up on its own. Um, yes. We've, through a lot of searching, we, we do have Chardonnay and for the Blanc de Blanc style, and that is particularly from the east coast of Tas- Tasmania for us that really has the structural nature and length to be able to support a Blanc de Blanc style. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, for Blanc de Blanc to work, yeah, you must really have a very strong, strong Chardonnay. Which makes and total we, sense. We would use maybe four or five of our top-end Chardonnays in that blend in various proportions to make sure that the wine was com- complete. Whereas in a wine like the Grand, Grand Vintage, um, you're, always, you, you're also using very high-end Chardonnay, but... Um, You've got the opportunity to use high-end Pinot as well to sort of interlink the two um, varieties in the blend. Sure. And it's... The, the, 
the target there is to make them seamless so there are no gaps. That's right. It's, it's almost like they create a buffer, but they still have to be, it still has to be a, the perfect mix. So ultimately, yep, a lot of science and creativity going on. But I, I agree. I think a Blanc de Blanc is absolutely stunning. And um, I love seeing uh, them, you know, much more readily readily available. Uh, looking at your collections, you know, people are quite, I think, quite au fait with the Grand Vintage, um, with your Blanc de Blancs uh, and your Rosé, but your Brut Elite is absolutely glorious and uh, very, very highly acclaimed. Um, I think in 2013 was absolutely outstanding. Can you talk to us a bit about the Brut Elite? Uh, yeah, I mean, Brut Elite concept for us is... Um um, is a multi-vintage wine, so we tend to blend wines from across different vintages. Um, you know, the, the line for me is it's a vintage quality wine with um, uh, w- with the ability to use wines from different uh, years to be able to make the wine more complete and more evolved. So it does contain reserve wines, um, but uh, it's a very much red fruit driven wine. Um, is uh, generally 50 or 55 percent Pinot Noir. Um, right. What What also makes it unique is we use up to 10 percent Pinot Menia in that blend, and Pinot Menia is not often talked about in Australian sparkling, but for us in that blend, um, it does produce an approachability and a more complete palate at a slightly younger age. Um, and uh, it's got the Chardonnay in it to give it the sort of uh, Structural elegance, so very much a red fruit driven style um, with the Mernia for the juicy middle palate. Um, but the interesting thing about the concept of that is uh, on the neck label we have a little cuvee number. The current cuvee number is 1701. Yes. Which um, predominantly means it was the first blend out of uh, predominantly two, 2017 vintage. So we like the idea of having the ability to have a multi-vintage wine with all those added complexities and consistencies, but um, also to be able to identify the wine with its primary vintage, which uh, just gives that little more interest um, and the ability for the consumer to um, get an idea of the age of the wine. For sure. You know what? That's really interesting because I didn't know that the 1701 actually referred to 2017, which it actually makes sense. But uh, thank you. I love learning something new every day. Um, well, it is absolutely beautiful. So if anyone hasn't tried the Brutally, it's definitely worth a go. And for the price point, it's just insane. Um, you also have a few other, and I'm not sure how involved you are in the, say, the A by Aris um, Rosé and Brut. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about those? Because they are, they're very readily available. They are also absolutely stunning sparklings at um, at a very affordable price point. Um, can you tell us a bit about those? Yeah, sure. I'm certainly involved with those as well. We're um, looking at those blends constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was the um, that was uh, the the concept with the A by Aris, the premium cuvee blends, both in the uh, brut and the rosé, was to um, make the brand more. Ex- accessible, I guess, um, to uh, people through price point and to volume. Um, yeah. They very much maintain the the Aris house, house style. We make them in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, they're just slightly younger wines. Um, and um, 
they do have that generosity, that complexity that you'd expect from the Aristotle. So the premium cuvee brut is uh, is again a Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier Chardonnay. So again, tailored for that earlier release, and it's more generosity through the Pinot Meunier. And the rosé has been a very interesting ex- extension of that line. Um, Rosé often gets overlooked. Um, it was interesting you mentioned Blanc de Blanc. Um, Rosé's been an interesting style for us as well. And uh, Although Blanc de Blanc has uh, got a lot of the lime light, I guess, Rosé's still a very strong part of our mix. So um, the Abiaris Rosé is a younger, fruitier style. It's got a lovely sort of slightly crimson, but can contemporary hue um it really screams pinot noir so it's um mm. very much that pinot noir red red fruit strawberry raspberry sort of feel and it's very dry as well a lot all of these styles are very dry the um, dosage is very low but um probably it's a bit unusual for a, a rosé to have this low dosage so it really does give it a beautiful palate balance, but uh, without the need to use a lot of sugar in the dosage, it's really just a, a fruit and quality style driven. Well, that, they really are absolutely stunning. So I think we've actually covered quite a, 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 a bit of the range. The only one I just, uh, just would love to end on is what is your personal take on the 2007 EJ card late disgorged? Um, yeah, as I mentioned before, it was a difficult year and I was, we, we as a team were sort of apprehensive when we, back in 2007, when we first put the blend um, together. But um, watching it over the years, um, you know, we just really feel that we've made the right choice and it's, um, it's got a beautiful Chardonnay-driven palette. Um, the Pinot makes it seamless on the back. Um, mm. With the number of... Uh, Years on leaves, it's got a lovely, uh, it's developed into that lovely toasty mushroom, oyster, everything going on in that wine complexity. Yum. Um, but it's also, um, it's also extremely dry. The dosage is less than three grams per litre. Um, but I think what's most important in these really aged styles is um, the fact that uh, they still have this lovely vibrancy in life. They're... Um, they are really bright, um, refreshing, you know, uh, crisp sort of styles. And mm. that's what we aim to get with that label, um, to have all the complexity from such extended age, which is really quite rare in sparkling wine within Australia and across the world too. Um, but also make sure that they're, they're still vibrant and attractive. And um, that wine's done... Extremely well with comments from journalists. It's lovely to hear that sort of third-party endorsement as well. And mm-hmm. have a wine that scores 96 points upwards consistently um, really, uh, you know, supports the fact that we made those right choices very early on. 
Oh, absolutely. And look, congratulations again on all the magnificent uh, awards and results that you've received. Um, all completely worthy. Uh, the EJ Carlate Disgorged, ladies and gentlemen, is an exceptional wine. And uh, Christopher, I, I challenge you to uh, get a bottle of the 2007 if you can get your hands on it and, uh, and let me know what you think. So Ed, thank you so much for joining us yet again. I always love having a chat with you. I always learn so much from you. And I'm sure I, I can speak on behalf of all of our audience as well. Well, so um, I'll let you get on with your with your Sunday and uh, and look forward to uh, seeing what the what the vintage twenty twenty three brings for us. Thank you, Jill. It's um, been a real um, pleasure, actually. It's uh, and twenty three vintage is getting close, so um, <laughs> we need to make plans for that one now. It's yeah. just around the corner. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah, it's scary but crazy, but um, also very very exciting as well. It is indeed. Well, thank you so much, Ed. I will definitely be speaking with you soon, but have a great day and take care. Thank you. Cheers. Goodbye.